Yeah, so it's great for you to be here, us here. We're all here together to join together in worship. So would you stand with us as we sing praises to our God?
blank of what's actually being said, right? <laughs> you can go ahead and be seated. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us this morning. Sorry for the inconvenience there, but we are excited to be with you this morning to worship our great God together. You know, we just sang from uh, this wonderful song of all creatures of our God and King. It reminds us of how all of us are called to bow in adoration to Christ. You know, later on in uh, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to get to this great prayer of uh, Paul's where he talks about the, the nature of Christ and how one day all will bow before him. He writes in chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the privilege we have to do, even uh, a foretaste of that, this side of heaven, as we, ha- we unite our voices and we unite our hearts together in the worship of our great God this morning. So we are thankful that you are here to join us in our time of worship this morning. If you would, grab your worship folder you received on your way in this morning. Uh, we would have been able to hear words to uh, what John and Ellen were saying, which, by the way, you would have seen that they were on our video last week. It's because they did such a good job last week uh, that we thought that we'd bring them back this week, you know. Uh, there's a running joke that says, you know, you never remember a sermon that you hear, right? Well, we were trying to test you to see if you would recognize the announcements you hear week in and week out with them. But one of the things I would have told you there would be to grab that little sheet of paper. This is our welcome card that just helps us know that you're here. If you would fill out that card and put it in the tables at the front or the back of the room, it's a great help to us to know that you are here, that your soul is being shepherded and that you are being cared for as a church. We'd love to pray for you. All kinds of opportunities on there, so please make sure that you fill that out here this morning. One thing we do want to make sure that you are aware of on the inside of your worship folder there, there's information about next week's congregational meeting. So we would encourage all of you to be a part of this during the 930 hour next Sunday. So this congregational meeting is a chance for us to answer questions, really address some of the things in the church right now. We'd love for you to be able to be there. If you have questions in advance that would be helpful for us as elders to address, uh, please fill those out and put them in the box that's at the back of the room or submit them online. We'd love to be able to receive your questions, pray about those, and know how we can best answer those here this coming week. So uh, plenty of information about that there as well as other things in our church. So please take time this week to uh, just read through that and be up to date on things. Sign up for our kids' opportunities in the hallway that we addressed last week, and we look forward to seeing how God will bless those things. So let's pray now as we entrust the rest of our time to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Well, Father, we are reminded today that you are worthy of our praise. We've already sung of that here this morning, that you are God of great glory and great praise, that all creatures who have been created by you, Lord, should render back to you that which you deserve. And so we just want to give our hearts to you today, uh, knowing that you are worthy of our best. And so we uh, pray this morning that you would be honored in our worship as we humble our hearts before you in light of your glory and your majesty. Uh, Please, Lord, uh, use the ministry of your word today as we sing, as we pray, as we sit under its instruction to change us and transform us more into the image of Christ for the glory of his name. Amen. Psalm 103, 11 through 13 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. With that in mind, would you join us and stand with us if you are able as we sing his mercy is more.
and I'm thankful for those songs that we can sing together, encourage one another um, as we come here this morning and praise him. On a personal note, on a personal note thanks for praying for Diane and I. Um, it's good to be back in country, and uh, the trip to Mali was safe and secure, and everything went well. It's always a little nerve-wracking when your country says not to go to that other country, but God is good and safe, and what's wonderful is just how much God is moving uh, in that country despite persecutions, and so that's just a big encouragement to me and Diane as well as to you guys. God is good and faithful. So let's pray here this morning. Father, we're so thankful that we can come here and glorify your name together and that we can encourage one another. You are so good and so gracious. You are the creator of everything. Out of nothing, you created us in this world, and we rejoice in that. Not only did you create this world, you redeemed it. Thank you for sending your son, that your son can make us new, make us clean, make us righteous, not out of our own doing, but out of your grace and mercy, that your grace can overcome all our sins, Lord. So Lord, we confess today when we don't worship you, forgive us for that. Forgive us for being distracted by the world and the idols and the cares of this world that can come in and steal our joy. Help us to look to you in that through our confession, Lord, that you will make us new and that we will look to you in all things, Lord. For we know that your law is perfect and it revives our soul. Your testimony is sure, making the simple wise, and your precepts are right, and it gives us joy, and the fear of you is righteous, and it endures forever, Lord. So we ask for our congregation here that we will remember those things, that we will glorify you through our suffering. And as I think of those that are suffering here in this congregation through health concerns, um, as you, um, as you provide strength and encouragement for them that they will stand up underneath that, Lord, and overcome temptations and give you glory through that. And if it's your will, Lord, please bring healing uh, to them. And for those that are suffering with anxiety or um, depression or uh, fear, Lord, that you will deliver them from them, knowing that we can cast our anxieties on you, Lord. Lord, be with... Um, Gabby and Mateo Alzante, that their health will um, be increased as they're dealing with sicknesses this last few months, Lord. Let them bear fruit as they reach out into the community and build local church partnerships, Lord, and then help them as they uh, work with the students there as those students make major life transitions from high school to adult life, that they can be in an encouragement to them as well, Lord. We're so thankful that we can look to you in all things and uh, also be with our partner church, Summit Point Church, that as they meet here this morning, that they will uh, be encouraged with your word, that they will be convicted and glorify you in the same way that you glorify us, Lord, and convict us and strengthen us, Lord. Be with us this week, that we'll remember the things that are being taught here today from your word and that we will encourage one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our last song showed us that God's faithfulness
is great. And now we're going to sing that his grace is also great. So great, in fact, that it can cleanse us. And we'll sing in the chorus, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. What does that mean within? That means we're not just going to the barber. You're not just going to the beauty salon. You're not just going to get a new outfit that's going to make you look good on the inside or on the outside. It gives you goodness and grace on the inside too. So will you stand and sing with us if you're able?
Every city on earth has certain dates that are remembered as being significant. A most significant time in the history of the city of Philippi was in 42 B.C. 42 B.C. Everybody remembers that. On the plains just outside the city of Philippi, two Roman armies met. In full battle array, they faced off that day. One army was led by Brutus and Cassius. You remember those names? Does that sound familiar to you in some way? Brutus and Cassius. Well, Brutus and Cassius were the leaders of the revolt against Julius Caesar, which resulted in Caesar's assassination. You remember the words, et tu, Brutus? You too, Brutus? As Brutus stabbed Julius Caesar to death, they were there to fight against the troops that were still loyal to Caesar. Augustus had pursued Brutus and Cassius for hundreds of miles, seeking revenge for their friend Caesar's murder. So Anthony and Octavian, you remember those names? Anthony and Octavian came to avenge the death of Caesar. The people of Philippi cast their lot with the men who were leading an army of revenge. And when the battle ended and the dust settled, Anthony and Octavian were victorious. Veterans of that battle were given land in and around the city of Philippi, and Rome made Philippi a Roman colony. They conferred on those people the full rights of citizenship within the Roman Empire. About a century later, another event deeply impacted Philippi. It was much less visible. The Apostle Paul had come to a city named Troas, which is now in modern-day Turkey. For whatever reasons in God's plan, God would not let Paul go off into Asia Minor. He tried, and God stopped him. Not knowing what was in God's mind, Paul tried to take the gospel north, and God stopped that too. Bewildered and frustrated, Paul prayed, and as he slept that night, he had a vision from God, and it was a man from Macedonia who said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul rightly presumed that that was God's way of telling him that he was to go to Greece, Macedonia. And he did. You can read more of that story in Acts chapter 16. And I would urge you, when you have an opportunity, to read Acts 16. It's a glorious, interesting account. You won't be bored by it in the least. How God moved on a slave girl and on a Philippian jailer and on a woman named Lydia And they became believers in Jesus and evidently formed the core group out of which grew this church in Philippi. We read part of Acts chapter 16 a couple of weeks ago with Pastor Josh. God was certain, or Paul was certain, that he was to go to Greece, so he came. And he didn't come to gain wealth or power or to avenge Caesar. He came to give the people of that region 
the life-changing, life-giving gospel of Jesus. Over the last two Sundays, you've begun to get your feet wet in the book of Philippians. And you know that when the book starts, Paul and Timothy gave greetings and said hello to the believers in Philippi. The church must have been in southern Philippi because they said, howdy, you all. And they thanked the people of that church for standing with them in the gospel. In fact, we learned last week from Pastor Scott that in verse 6, it's made clear that what God starts, he finishes. The God who began a good work in them would continue to do that work until the very end. I'd like you to read these words with me. I want all of you to see them. And if you're here this morning and don't have a Bible, all you have to do is wave a hand at one of these ushers and they will be glad to give you a Bible. In the beginning of what we're going to read in just a moment, Paul makes three statements of his deep affection for the church in Philippi. So, if you can find Philippians chapter 1, what we're going to read this morning is verses 3 to 11. It's a big paragraph. It overlaps the things we have read in the last two Sundays. If you are able, stand with me, and we will read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you, long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thank you. Please be seated. And pray with me, if you will. Father God, this is a strategic piece of your word. Open our minds to it. Give us something of an understanding of these things. We ask you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I want you to notice that in the context of our text, our text is verses 9, 10, and 11, in the context, Paul makes three statements about his love for these believers at Philippi. In verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. In verse 8, he says, I long after you all. 
And in verse 9, he says, I want your love to abound. I am praying that your love will abound. It will grow in knowledge and judgment and discernment. Now, Paul was a Jew of the Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a student of Gamaliel. And Paul, Paul knew the Old Testament inside out and upside down. And Paul knew that among the vestments for the high priest of Israel was an article of clothing called an ephod, E-P-H-O-D, an ephod. An ephod was like a tunic. It was like a vest without sleeves. And on the shoulders of that ephod, there was a stone on the top of each shoulder. And on that stone was engraved the names of six of the tribes of Israel, 12 altogether, one on each side. And hanging down from what we would call in military uniforms today, epaulets, hanging down from them was a fine gold chain. And it was fastened to a breastplate, a breastplate that hung over the high priest's heart. It had four rows of three stones on it, precious stones, and on each of those 12 stones was engraved the name of one of the tribes of Israel, so that the high priest literally wore the people of Israel on his heart. Paul did too in his thinking about the Philippians. In verse 8, he says, I long for you all. That's an interesting phrase. In the King James translation, it says, I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be tempted to flinch or smirk when you hear such words, but you can understand them. And if you do, you'll know something about the Scriptures that's worth knowing. Our culture speaks of the heart as being the center of our emotions. Surely you understand that your emotions aren't centered in a little fist-sized muscle inside your chest. But we speak of our heart as being the center or the depth of our being, our place of deepest emotion. It's a way of indicating our inner being. Since we've just come past Valentine's Day in the last week, I'm sure you've heard much about your heart. And so if you say, I love you with all my heart, you are not referring to that pump in your chest. You're referring to your feelings about that person. You may have bought a box of heart-shaped chocolate candies to give the one you love. In ancient cultures, they often spoke of the liver or the bowels. We think that's strange. That just makes us kind of wonder what's wrong with them. But we have a word that kind of summarizes that. We use the word guts. Guts. That was a gutsy thing to do. Or that was a gut reaction to that. We refer to some feeling that we have deep within us. We may not even be able to explain it. However you word it, it refers to something of a deep reaction. It refers to how deeply you care about something. The point isn't which organ of the body you choose. The point is that he wants you to understand that you love 
with the very depths of your being. I think if you're going to live in America, you probably ought to stick with referring to the heart. I, I really don't think it'll impress your girlfriend too much if you say that my liver likes you. <laughs> now, there's a third statement about his love for these people, and it's in verse 9. And verse 9 begins our actual text for this morning. Paul says, I want your love to abound. In fact, I'm praying that your love will abound, will grow, will abound more and more in knowledge and judgment or discernment. Paul is praying for their maturity, for mature love. He wants them to love with both their heart and their head. Both are necessary in God's kind of love. Mature love involves both. You see, biblical love is not blind or stupid. It's not empty sentiment. It's not what Dr. Sweeting used to call sloppy agape. It makes sense. It stands examination. It not only gives you a rush, it gives you a reason. To love someone deeply, you have to know them deeply. It's one of the reasons we don't rush into marriage around Newcastle. We talk, pray, counsel, think, and discuss. We make it clear that we want to make the wedding service as special as it can be, as it ought to be. But the emphasis is on the marriage. The wedding service may be 45 minutes. The marriage may be 45 years. We want to put the emphasis where it belongs. So besides giving three statements of his affection for these people, he gives us three spiritual entities to know about in this text. The first one is in verse 9, and it's more about the spiritual affection that he is teaching. We've spoken a little bit about the truths that are in verse 9, but there's a great deal more. Paul says he wants their love to abound in knowledge and judgment or discernment. You see, God's Word is replete with statements of things that he wants us to know. In fact, he wants us to know that we know. He wants us to be sure. The little epistle of 1 John is chock full of things that God wants us to know. And among them, he wants us to know that we have an eternal relationship to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to know that you have eternal life. I don't want you to guess that you have it. I don't want you to hope that you have it. I want you to know that your love is secured in Christ and his love is secured in you. By the way, that word for discernment shares the root word for the word aesthetics. And I learned that and I thought, what is the link between those two? But aesthetics has to do with the things that are visually pleasing. They are grouped well, or they are color-coordinated in some way. Those are aesthetics. They have to do with what we see. 
And love isn't supposed to be blind. It's supposed to see and see clearly. Paul says that I want your love to abound and that it ought to be perceptive. It ought to scrutinize things. It ought to see the object of the love clearly. Do you, dear people, understand that the frequent demands of the Bible that we love one another are not to be taken casually or just dismissed out of hand? They are not empty words. It's not a vague concept. Love involves a choice. You choose who you love. And God makes clear that you are to have a deliberate choice to love one another, to love other believers, and they are to do the same thing. So there's spiritual affection taught here. There's not only spiritual affection, there's spiritual discernment in verse 10. Now, I've mentioned some things about discernment, but there's more in verse 10. Paul says he wants us to make smart choices. He says that he wants us to approve things that are excellent. In fact, the phrase approve things that are excellent could well be translated approve things that transcend, that are high and holy. God wants us to not only choose between the good and the bad, and he does, but he wants us to make choices between the good and the best. Now there's a word in verse 10 that you might be interested in. Some of you may already understand it. It's the word sincere. Paul says that I want you to be sincere and without offense. When the word sincere is used here in the scriptures, it refers to something that's real. Real through and through. The genuine article. The right thing. The real thing. Maybe you know that behind our English word sincere are the Latin words sine siri. And they mean literally translated without wax. And it has a reference to unscrupulous potters who would make a vase or a pot or a glass or a cup and if it had a flaw in it would put melted wax into that crack or flaw and smooth it over and then paint the thing and sell it as if it was complete, whole, right, good. Sinceri meant without wax. And in order to buy a pot or a, a, a pitcher made out of clay by the potter, you'd have to hold it up to the lights and see if the light began to show through in places where there was a crack or a flaw. The Bible tells us that we believers are to walk in the light. That we believers are to live lives that bear examination under the light. We are to walk in the light. Let people look. Don't put your efforts into fixing up your flaws with wax. Let the master potter fix them. One of the best sermons I ever heard in my life was about the four men. It was about the man the world sees. It was about the man our friends see. It was about the man we ourselves see when we look in the mirror. And it was about the man God sees. 
with some people, the only honest picture of them is the man God sees. They put up a false front to the world around us. Or they are phonies to their friends to impress them. Or they have lied to themselves and deceived themselves and told those lies so many times that they believe them. Might even kid themselves into thinking we're okay. Okay with God, even when we're not. What God is looking for is people who are genuine. People who are sincere. People who are the real thing. They're the same at home as they are at work or at a party, or at church, or when they're driving, or at a ball game, or they're on vacation, or when they're facing surgery, or when they're facing death. Some of you that have been around for a few years will remember Larry Smith. Larry Smith was a retired Morton cop, and he saved articles and writings and things about police work. And one day he gave me a story. I shared it once with you in another context about 19 years ago, and so surely you all remember it. <clears throat> but I dug it out because it makes this point so well. And it goes like this. Their cars were waiting at a traffic light. The light turned green, but the man in the front car didn't notice. The woman in the car behind him started pounding on her steering wheel and yelling for the man to move. She screamed at him. The man didn't move, and the woman went ballistic, ranting and raving and pounding and pounding. The light was ready to turn yellow, and the man looked up and saw it. So he scooted through the intersection, and she went ballistic. She got left behind. She was beside herself, screaming in frustration. In mid-rant, she heard a tap on the window. She turned and looked into the barrel of a gun held by a policeman who wasn't smiling. He told her to shut off the engine and keep her hands on the wheel where he could see them. She was finally speechless. Then she was told to get out of the car with her hands up, and she was handcuffed and put into the patrol car. Too bewildered to ask many questions, she was taken to the police station where she was fingerprinted, searched, booked, and placed in a holding cell. After a few hours, she was escorted back to the booking desk where the original officer was waiting with her belongings. He said to her, I'm really sorry for the mistake, but you see, I pulled up behind your car as you were blowing the horn and gesturing with your finger and cussing a blue streak at the top of your lungs at the car in front of you. And then I saw the what would Jesus do sticker on the back of your car. And on the other side, follow me to Sunday school sticker. And then I saw the choose life frame on your license plate. And then I saw the chrome-plated fish emblem on your trunk, and I just naturally assumed that you'd stolen the car. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. 
It makes the point that I want you to see from Philippians that there's a disconnect in too many Christians. And they are one thing one place and another thing another place. We dare not make claims about being Christians unless we're ready to live like Christians. Well, hang on. You're almost home. There's a third thing here. Besides spiritual affection and spiritual discernment, there's some information in verse 11 about spiritual fruit. You see, in God's economy, a life that's real produces fruit. That phrase, fruits of righteousness, take a look at it carefully. That phrase, fruits of righteousness, could well be put, the fruit that righteousness produces. So to be truthful with you, Newcastle, if you don't love him more now than you did when you came to faith in Christ, something's wrong. If you don't know him better now than you knew him when you came to faith in Christ, something's wrong. If you don't know his word better now than when you came to faith in Christ, something's wrong. If you're the same old grouch you were before you came to Christ, something's wrong. If you have the same rotten vocabulary, something's wrong. If you have the same mean spirit, something's terribly wrong. Please understand that if the Holy Spirit resides in you, and if you don't resist him or quench him, he will use his spiritual hacksaw, his spiritual grinding wheel, his spiritual sandpaper, his spiritual chisel, his spiritual steel wool to work on you and make you more like Jesus. Please, invite him to do that. Ask him to do that. If the Holy Spirit is not working on you to make you more like Christ, you have reason to wonder if you really did receive him as Savior. God never intended that you should become a child of God, but continue to live like a child of the devil's family. Those two things are mutually exclusive. God set it up that way. It was deliberate. Please, take one more good look at Philippians chapter 1. In verse 7, you will read a phrase at the beginning of the verse, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Just as it is right for me to think this of you. This is the way believers are supposed to think of each other. Remember that this is God's holy word, and it's given by inspiration. Holy men of old were moved as they spoke by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit moved Paul to record these words, and they are true. You can take them to the bank. We are to love each other and to live real. We are to be the real deal, and we are to be productive because God is at work inside each of us. Paul says 
it's right for me to think this of you because I love you. I have you in my heart. This is the way God wants us to think about each other. Once in a while I do this, but I'm going to ask you to just close your Bibles and think with me about something for a moment. At the height of the Cold War in the 1950s, people were waiting anxiously for the worst to happen. At the White House, the president had on his desk a red phone, a red phone that was dialed in advance to the Kremlin so that if need be, he could pick up that phone and speak directly with them. There had been a face-off over Cuba, a really nasty face-off. And our president called the bluff of Russia, and there was a very tense time. It was a missile crisis that took two superpowers to the very edge of war. There had been an incident with Khrushchev at the United Nations, where Khrushchev took his shoe off and used it to bang on the table in front of him as he cursed and railed against the United States of America. And he was standing on American soil when he was doing it. People across the United States were hoarding food, and many were building bomb shelters in their backyards. Our military installed what was called the Dew Line, not D-O, but D-E-W, Distant Early Warning. It was a system searching the skies for anything incoming that would be of danger. My own cousin Ken went to Alaska to man one of those outposts. With everyone's nerves on edge and the whole world watching, we waited for the end to come. That Sunday, my father preached and he said to our church, if word came that the buttons had been pushed and the missiles were in the air on their way, missiles that would destroy huge sections of our land, he said, the phone lines of the earth would be jammed by millions of people trying to find a way one more time, one last time, to say, I love you to someone. I think that's true. I think that's true. But why wait until the missiles are coming? Why, why wait until you're in a coma and your family's gathered around your bed and you can no longer speak? Why wait until the blade of the guillotine is falling? Why not say it now? I'm going to take some of my own medicine. I want to say that I love Jesus. I love him. He's my Savior, my Lord, my King, my God. 
He is my advocate. He is my source of righteousness. That's my Savior. He is my propitiation. And I love Him. I love God's Word. It contains everything I need to know about life and godliness. Won't give me a map to Toledo or solve my tax problems, but the Word tells me everything I need to know about how to live a life that pleases God. I love my church. I love you. I love you. I'm glad to be a part of what God is doing here. And with Paul, in Philippians 1, I say, it's right for me to think this of you. I want to think this of you. I want you to love each other. I want you to do so with knowledge and discernment. I want you to approve things that are excellent. I want you to be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness because those things bring glory to God. Father, thank you for your word. Nothing here in Philippians is hard for us to understand. Maybe hard for us to apply it, but we can't think that it's too complicated for us to understand. So thank you, Lord, for loving us. Help us to love you and to love each other as we should. I ask through Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Well, if you've been waiting to say some of those things, once you can say those to yourself, that you love God, you can start to ask him to do things with you, to occupy your heart and to reign supreme in your life. So would you stand with us kind of as we close out and sing our great God.
think that I pulled strings to have this happen, but our text for this morning was Philippians 1, 9 to 11, and by some chemistry I don't understand, that's been selected to be our benediction. So you're going to get another dose of Philippians 1, 9 to 11. Are you ready? Let's read it. And this I Yes, indeed. Thank you much. You're dismissed.